Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. We are beginning kind of a series through Mark. The last two weeks we talked about the Trinity because Jesus is the Son of God and we have to wrestle with that. If God is one and yet God has a Son and there's the Holy Spirit, whoa. And then last week we talked about how Jesus was prophesied, foretold hundreds and hundreds of years, even thousands of years ahead of time, except the prophecy didn't just say, hey, this Messiah is coming, but there's going to be a forerunner, someone that's going to come and prepare the way. And we looked at John the Baptist and how he fit that description perfectly. And tonight we're reading probably my favorite story in the Bible, because it's just so, in my mind, I think it's hilarious. But I want to give you a little context. Jesus, after being baptized, after being tempted in the wilderness, went and recruited his first four disciples, James, John, Andrew, Peter, the initial four. And whenever he recruited them out of the fishing business, he basically said, hey, guys, when you follow me, I'm flipping your world, and now you're going to become fishers of... There you go. That, that what, Okay, man, we are not going to be very good missionaries if that is your excitement about this. God is calling us to be fishers of... That's right, of the brothers and sisters you're walking past every day in the hallways. Wherever you're at in the mall, God is calling us to be influences in the world around us. So he recruits these four. He goes on and Jesus casts out demons. He does cool healings. And over and over and over again, as he does the miracles, his fame and popularity spreads. Not as the Son of God, not as the Messiah, but as kind of like this magician doing cool stuff. And anybody who has somebody sick that they know, they're like, we got to get them there. And soon, Jesus' ministry actually becomes inhibited because of mobs of people that are crowding him, wanting miracles and healings and wanting to see demons kicked out and stuff like that. And they're coming for, like, the show. All the way to the point that he can't enter into the city of Capernaum anymore because when he gets in there, he's so crowded, he can't even preach. And we're going to pick up kind of in, in this context he has actually just retreated to the wilderness, and people followed him out there. And now he comes back into the city. Now, the book of Mark, over and over and over again, Mark's desire is to bring us constantly, us the reader, to a fork in the road. And he's asking the question, I'm going to ask you the question, who do you believe that Jesus is? And Mark's going to constantly reinforce and throw that question out at us over and over and over again. Who do you actually believe Jesus is? Is he a historical figure? Is he a prophet? Is he the son of God? Is he made up by Paul and Peter who decided to start a religion? Who is this guy, Jesus? And so we're going to read through this this short story, and we're going to break it down a little bit. It is in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We'll put it up on the screen so you can see it too. I'm going to read it off the back because if I stand on that speaker, I don't want a feedback for you guys. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. This is the city he couldn't get into before because of the crowds. And it was heard that he was in the house. Other translations say in his house, which I was like, what? Jesus has a house. Immediately, many were gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic. That's a guy who can't walk. He has no use in his legs, who is carried by four men. 
And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes, their lawyers, they're sitting there and they reason in their hearts. They say, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned this way within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Boy, the word of the Lord. Mark, let's start at the beginning. First of all, the other three Gospels don't mention some of the details that are here. The other three Gospels don't mention that it was four friends, like we don't know exactly how many. The other Gospels don't mention what city it was, the city of Capernaum, uh, or whose house it was, that it may be Jesus' house. Verse 1. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days. It was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, men had gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So this house is packed, wall-to-wall, bodies crushed in here all the way to the door, Right? Then what happens next? Then they came to him bringing in a paralytic who is carried by four men. I want you to know ahead of time, the paralytic is not the key interest in this story. We don't get his name. We don't get his background. We don't know if he was born this way or, or if maybe an accident happened to him. This story revolves around the three characters of Jesus, these guys, and the, the scribes, the lawyers. They're the ones of interest. The other guy doesn't even get a speech. He doesn't say anything. He's really kind of passive through the story. So we're going to focus on those three characters. He's carried by four men. Then what happens? That's right. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. That is awesome. So first of all, you have to understand houses in this day and age were built with flat roofs that you could walk on because it was very, very hot. And so they would actually spend a lot of their time up on the roof. They would cook, they would eat, they would sleep up there on the extra hot nights. They spent a lot of time on the roof. So they would often have access to the roof outside of, of the house. And so these guys go up on the house, and they're like, we can't get in there. What are we going to do? Can you imagine being down below, like Jesus is talking to the people, and then they're suddenly interrupted, like, dude, I got an idea. And they're like, whoa, what was that? Someone's up there, you know? No, man, you ain't doing that. No, no, I got this great idea. Do you have a shovel? No, you can't do this to me. You know, like, you're going to do what? Okay, no, no, no. Dude, the owner of me might, he's, dude, we're going to get in so much trouble. Come on, come on, I got that. Come on, let's try it. Where are those ropes? Come on, man, please. I already have no legs. You know, like, this is great. So they dig a hole in the roof, probably made of clay, and they lower this guy down into the room. Imagine like these people looking up and here comes like the hole. There's like skylight coming in and the bed comes down. They're trying to move out of the way. I mean, if the, I guess if the guy falls, Jesus can heal anything that happens to him. You know, oh, I guess I'll hear your collarbone too, you know. So they're not terribly worried about that, I guess. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these MacGyvers committing destruction of private property, 
Jesus is moved by the extent these men are willing to go for their friend. So I want to ask the question tonight, right off the bat, what is faith? We anchor a lot on it. The Bible says that without faith, we can't please God. It is through our faith that we believe unto salvation. Like, this is a very critical question. Jesus sees their faith, and then he responds with this crazy phrase of, son, your sins are forgiven. That had to be a flip too, right? Because they're lowering him down for God to fix his legs, for Jesus to, to heal him. And Jesus doesn't even, like, that's like not priority one. Jesus is like, boom, your sins are forgiven. What is faith? James chapter 2, you can read it later. James says this, he says, without faith, what, what do we have? If we don't have works, how, how can we show our faith? He actually goes as far as saying that without works, without action, faith is dead. He says, you want to show me your faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. Show me. What does faith look like if you're not taking action, if you're not doing something? What, what good is it? I talked to, y'all remember Miles? He was a senior that just graduated. Miles went out for a job, and he got a job, and he said, look, I don't want to work Sundays because um, I feel like God is called me to the standard of this is this is my sabbath and I, I don't want to work on sundays i want to honor god with this and they put him on the schedule for every single sunday and he was like oh, i don't want to lose my job you know like i just started out i want to please my employers and so miles went today he called me and he said don i didn't know what to do but i sat down with with him and i was like look this is really important to me this is how i want to honor god as part of my faith and i'm sorry but i'm i'm not going to work on sundays and he was like, Dom, they did not look happy. They took me off the schedule for all the Sundays, so I don't have to work on Sundays anymore. And I wanted to call you first. I was like, yeah, a boy. Why is that important for Miles? Because Miles genuinely believes that his boss is not his provider. He genuinely believes that money is not his provider. He actually believes that God is his provider. And so he's willing to say, God, I will honor you with something that other people see as simple or maybe not as important, because I trust you. This is my sacrifice. That's faith. Faith wasn't just saying to himself in his room by himself, going, I believe you can do it. I believe you're going to take care of me. His faith was going outside of the door, having a, a difficult conversation, and taking action saying, I'm not going to do this thing. Like This isn't, this isn't me. God is calling me to a certain conviction that I want to honor. And so he had to take action in his faith. These men trusted that Jesus would heal them. But they didn't just sit in their house being like, man, can I call the lame man Legolas? Is that? <laughs> they were like, man, Legolas, like, it's a bummer that he can't walk. I bet you Jesus could heal him. Yeah, me too. That'd be cool. Yeah. No, they're like, okay, we've heard his reputation. We believe that there's something special about him. We got to get Legolas there. Whatever it takes. We can't get in the door. Fine. We're not stopping there. I got a shovel. You got ropes. Run to your shed. He's going to be with Jesus today. We're going to get him in front of the one person that we know can make a difference in his life, that can heal Legolas. And then we have to come up with a new nickname. Jesus looks at them and says, your sins are forgiven. Remember how last week we talked about how Jesus stepped into John the Baptist's ministry in a lot of ways? John the Baptist was preaching this message of repentance. Come, repent, and be baptized. And then Jesus picks up 
when John the Baptist goes to prison and Jesus begins a ministry of repent and believe in the gospel. And he was already stepping into this very challenging ministry. John the Baptist got arrested over it. He's about to get his head cut off about it. And Jesus is filling these shoes. But our sins are forgiven. You have to think about this for a minute. Why is this the most critical part of the gospel? Don't miss this. If God is transcendent, we can't reach him. We can't talk to him. We have complete disconnection. He is infinite, almighty God. We are dirt made by God who are in the muck of sin, who have our signal cut off from our sin. The only way that we can know God is for him to make the difference and reveal himself to us. Which means that there is no way that we can fix ourselves. I talked to a lady the other day and she said, I'm just trying to get my life together and just try to work on myself. And I was like, that's not how it works. We don't have the power to rebirth ourselves. The only one who can do a creative miracle inside of us to make us a new beginning is that God that's out of reach. He's the only one that can forgive sins. We're hopeless. Only God can forgive us and change our nature. And he makes that way through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says it. What does he say? You believe in me. For God so loved the world that he, whoever believes, right, shall have eternal life. What does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? You're still hanging on that faith thing. Does this mean that you believe that Jesus was a person, a historical person? Does this mean that you believe that he was a prophet? Mark's asking us this question. Do we assent that Jesus is God? Okay, Jesus is God. That's cool. What does it mean that we believe in him? What is the the life-changing, course-redirecting aspect of belief? It's more than just assenting that Jesus happens to be God. It's giving our lives to him. How can we go on sinning and say, I repent, I give my life to you, but I'm actually going to live my life exactly how I want to live it? That's not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God says he's the only way. There's nothing else but him. It's a complete surrender. Our new life begins with repentance. Don't miss that. If God is transcendent and we're dirt, blinded by sin, we have no work in this create in this, this grace salvation process. We have no nothing we can do. We can let all the fires, we can sacrifice animals. They did that, it didn't really stick. There, there's no end. The only thing that you and I can do, the only work, the only action we can take is to repent. To say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. And I'm going to turn, repenting, going this direction, and I'm going to turn from what I want, living for me, and I'm going to follow you. That's it. That's the only thing we can do. Because we're acting in faith that with our repentance, we're taking action, repentance, in our trust that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And so our trust is shown by our action. Did you all follow me in that? So Jesus looks at these four guys and their action and says, I'm moved by what you guys were willing to do. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is showing their action 
as being directly linked to faith. The only action we can take in salvation is repentance. Verse 6, I love this. And some of the scribes, the lawyers, they're sitting there and they're reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? That, it was in their hearts. It was in their heads, right? So Jesus, like, totally gets spooky on them and actually reads their mail and speaks out loud what they thought was hidden. They feel a little violated, right? And he's like, I know you're all thinking this. And they're like, Ugh. Except the Pharisees are absolutely, completely correct. The Pharisees, or the, the scribes, they get it right. Only God can forgive sins. You ready for this? Buckle up. God spoke to Isaiah a long time ago. He says this, Isaiah 53, verse 2 through 11. Only God can forgive sins. They know that. God declares that about himself. And then God moves Isaiah to write this. He's talking about a prophecy of this coming Messiah that God is going to send. And he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken. Yep, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's our sin. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Yep, like sheep, we have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was killed for the transgressions, the sins of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in him. Get this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Okay, so he, got, he was killed. And then all of a sudden we have this flip. He's going to see his seed, his offspring, those that come after him. He'll have his days prolonged. That's resurrection talk right there. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for he will bear their sins. So we have the crucifixion and resurrection in this passage. But don't miss this. Only God can forgive sins, and yet God shows up here in the form of one who could be bruised. God shows up here in the form of someone who can receive stripes and be beaten. All this time, they're looking for this transcendent God, and he shows up in front of them in a form they were not expecting. And it's through the stripes of a man, the bruises of a man, that God would forgive sins. Y'all, that is a paradigm shift. Transcendent God becomes flesh. John chapter 1. And walks among us. That is beautiful. Verse 8 and 9. God reveals their thoughts. And he puts out this rhetorical question. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, they reasoned this way within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you? Arise, take up your bed and walk. 
He asks them a rhetorical question with a really profound thought because the answer is obvious. If you just say to someone, your sins are forgiven, there's no way of proving that. That's all inward. But Jesus, from their perspective, risks his entire ministry if he's willing to say, get up and walk on your legs, it don't work. Because if this guy doesn't walk, Jesus is a fraud and his ministry ends there. It's a lot easier to say something that people can't see than it is to make a declaration as the Son of God speaking to his legs, a miracle to walk again. Jesus gives an outward sign of this man's inward change. Now please catch this next thought. It is an unswerving principle of your repentance that there will be an outward sign in your life of the inward repentance and forgiveness that God has done in you. That is, that is worth an amen. Because faith, faith is trust in action. My son, standing on the edge of the pool, cannot tell me he trusts me if he's not willing to jump when I ask him to. Faith is trust in action. You want to see someone's faith? Look at their action. If they say they believe in Christ and their life looks like the world around them, that should be second-guessed. How about your life? Bless you. How about your life? Has the work of repentance and God's forgiveness made a change outwardly in your life? Or is that still buried deep down? Two points that Jesus is making here. One, he deals with the guy's sin first before healing, so Jesus sees it as a priority. This guy's sin in eternity is way more important than anything that happened here. Think about it. This guy's heavenly eternity versus hell makes no difference if he heals his legs or not. Because remember, life is like this compared to that long rope of eternity. Jesus is dealing with what is vastly more important. As soon as he sees him, I wonder if we saw people like that. We stop seeing the outward frustrations that we have with people. If we stop, I don't know, chewing on our tongue, not wanting to be bold about our faith, we actually started seeing people that the most vastly important thing is where they stand with their creator. But a lot of times we're just most comfortable playing it under the radar. What if we told the world? Quote, Jamie Dishman. Yeah. Point one, Jesus is dealing with our heart, which is the most important. The second thing, you know what? I'm sorry, caveat. There's a lot of people in the world that are hard to love. There's a lot of people that are ostracized for the life decisions they make. And I can tell you that if we as the body of Christ are more concerned about their hearts than we are their actions, then we're not living a walk of love either. We need to, we need to pursue people's hearts the way Jesus does. And then when they meet a God that calls them to repentance, God's going to deal with the rest. It's our place to speak truth. We need to start with love first. Verse 10. But that you may know, oh, I love this. <laughs> and Jesus is like, oh, which is it? Is it easier to say your sins or, or the healing? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. And he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get off your bed. Get out of here. 
Yay! But you almost missed this. This is so cool. I was like jumping up and down in my office today. The Son of Man. This is a title. This is a moniker that we should not miss. I want to bring you to two Old Testament passages that are going to give us some clarity on what Jesus just said about himself. He's already made this subtle reference to Isaiah. Yeah, you know, only God can forgive sins, but God's going to be showing up in a way you don't expect. Real subtle. Jesus is going to get a lot more pointed for people that know their Old Testament, which these lawyers, they know their Old Testament. And he's going to make this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth, has the power on earth. Don't forget that. Let's go to Psalm verse 8, verses 3 through 5, one of my very favorite Psalms. When I consider your heavens, this is worship from David, the work of your fingertips, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, it mentions man twice in there, but those are two different words, two different Hebrew words. The first one is a reference to mortal man. It's the idea that we're, we're born to die. We're temporary. We're mortal. Who is man that you're mindful of him? We're just, God, you're transcendent. You're eternal. And we're like, that's our whole life. And then the other reference, the son of man, is actually the word Adam, which means dirt, that God made him from the clay. And so if you think about this, this encompasses the mortality of man to just dirt. The son of man. And yet God speaks over this son of man and says, you crown him with glory. The idea of God coming in flesh is so outside of their paradigm, but God's been building this for a while. Let's go to Daniel. This is the next reference to son of man. You're going to see a very different picture. Daniel has had this crazy vision and he's prophesying. And he actually prophesies the next four empires that are going to be on earth, lays out timelines. It's crazy to go back with your history books and be like, whoa, God saw this coming and actually told Daniel about it. And right in the midst of this, ironically, within the empire that's related to the Roman Empire, because that's who's ruling right now with Jesus, he says this, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the... All right, this is important. One like the... Jesus is calling himself this. He is, he is carrying this title right now. One like the Son of Man. Remember what Son of Man means according, to, according to, to Psalms? It's just human, dirt, mortal man. One like the Son of Man, someone who is born of another guy, born, 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 born. One like the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. That is the Almighty, transcendent Yahweh God. And they brought him near before him. Then he said to him, then to him was given dominion, we saw that word in, in, in Psalm 8, and glory and a kingdom, making him a king, that all the peoples, nations, languages, not just the Jews, all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This dominion is an everlasting dominion, not mortal. Mortal man doesn't have an everlasting kingdom, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which will never or not be destroyed. The Son of Man is coming. And so when Jesus puts on this title, he is going from subtlety to very straightforward that God's Messiah is here. He's here in flesh. And by the way, the one you're looking at, 
the one that's going to be bruised, the one that's going to be stricken, the one that's going to be beaten, the one that's going to have lashes across his back. It'll be through that suffering. It'll be through that pain and anguish and, and shameful death that I will take my throne as everlasting king, given dominion over everything that God has created. Mark's theme through his whole book is going to be Jesus is the suffering servant who receives his kingdom through suffering. And Jesus is making this plain in the very simple statements of forgiving sin and calling himself the son of man. But that you may know that the son of man has power on earth, dominion, everlasting kingdom, to forgive sins, only God. He said to the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. And what happens? Verse 11. What does he do? He does it. How, how were they to know that Jesus was who he said he was? Because he does what only God can do. He forgives his sins and he heals them. Immediately, he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God. We never saw anything like this. The Pharisees believe only God can forgive sins, which means that according to Isaiah, God must come in the form of a man who can be bruised, striped, killed, a man. And Jesus attaches himself to the very familiar term of son of man, meaning that through his suffering, he'd be given everlasting dominion. Jesus is making the declaration, I'm 100% man, I'm 100% God. Therefore, get out of bed, walk. There is no discredit to prove his identity or his ministry here. Point one, I'm going to echo Mark. At this point of decision, who do you believe that Jesus is? Is he only man? Is he only historical figure? Is he just this guy you know? Is he a lunatic? Because if Jesus is a lunatic, I'm telling you, you cannot settle yourself. C.S. Lewis makes a whole argument about it. You can't settle yourself saying he is just a historical person and he had nice things to say about loving each other. Because when you actually read what Jesus said, it was like, I'm going to turn father against brother. I'm going to turn mother against daughter. If you don't believe in me, hell, Jesus did not have nice things to say. He came with very difficult, controversial things to say. So he was either who he said he was, or he was a complete lunatic. And if he's a lunatic, I'll tell you, go live your life for all the joy and pleasure you can get out of it. Make all the money you can, do whatever it takes to get all you can out of life, because life is short, and you got nothing but death, and and that's where it ends, death. But if Jesus is the Son of God, repent. Press in each day to grow in the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ. May we be disciples who walk in the awareness of his presence, who walk in his righteousness. Point one, who is Jesus? Point two, may we live our lives exhibiting, grab this, this is great. May we live our lives exhibiting radical friendship. May you be a friend that's willing to do whatever it takes 
to get someone in front of Jesus. We sit by way too often. If we genuinely believe that Jesus is the only way, if we genuinely believe that hell is the opposing factor here, then we will do anything it takes to get our friends before the face of Christ, to make that decision for themselves. World War I, there were two friends who were inseparable. They enlisted together, trained together, shipped overseas together, and fought side by side in the trenches. During an attack, one of the men was critically wounded in a field filled with barbed-wired obstacles, and he was unable to crawl back to his foxhole. The entire area was under a withering enemy crossfire, and it was suicidal to try to reach him. Yet his friend decided to try. Before he could get out of his own trench, his sergeant yanked him back inside and ordered him not to go. It's too late! You can't do any good for him. You'll only get yourself killed. Minutes later, the officer had turned his back, and instantly the man had gone after his friend. A few minutes later, he staggered back, mortally wounded, with his friend now dead in his arms. The sergeant was both moved but also angry. What a waste! He blurted out, He's dead and now you're dying! It just wasn't worth it. With almost his last breath, the dying man replied, Oh, yes, it was, Sarge. When I got to him, the only thing he said when he looked at me was, I knew you would come. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see your friends in a position where they're at a crossroads? where they meet Jesus and have to say, I believe, or I don't. Tell me, do you have, huh, let me rephrase this. Have you chosen the kind of friends in your life that are doing that for you? That when you start to slide, when you have this big argument with a parent or a friend, or maybe things are getting a little crazy with that new girlfriend or boyfriend, do you have the kind of friend that's willing to do whatever it takes to love you, to bring you to Jesus over and over and over again? Who is Jesus? Are you willing to pursue a radical friendship? Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Take this this comical little story and I pray that you'll reveal yourself to many in this room in a way you never have before that you are God and that you loved us so much that you would come in flesh and walk among us and bear the punishment for my sin and the sin of everyone that says and cries out to you calls you Lord. Lord, I pray that you're pricking hearts tonight to repent over and over and over again. To repent and come back to you. To let you wash us clean. Lord, forgive us when we run from you in our sin and let us run to you in our sin. Lord, our shame, our shame is such a tool of the enemy to make us run from the very person that is ready to lift the weight of sin who's paid the price already. Forgive us for every slap in the face 
that you paid a price and we reject it with our own shame, our own pride. Lord, and I pray that you are going to weave together a beautiful tapestry of friends, both in this room and outside of this room, people that are willing to do the hard thing, that are willing to even sacrifice a friendship because they love so well, and they're willing to be radical to love, to love wholly, to love sacrificially. And Lord, I pray that you'll surround us with the kind of friends that'll do the same for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Elevate. Thank you for a place that becomes a home for people that are maybe not fitting in somewhere else, that becomes a home for people that want to pour into your kingdom somewhere. Thank you for Elevate. Thank you for Living Word Church that makes this possible. Thank you for Living Word Church where our families are and where we love to be every Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for your church around the city and around the nation of all the believers that call on you as as the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the church, Lord, that is breaking down strongholds and chains, that is drawing new people that were once lost, broken, scared, angry, prideful, and they're bringing people into knowing hope and joy. Lord, let our little tiny branch produce fruit. Thank you for your worldwide church in every tongue, in every nation, in every political power. Thank you, Lord, that your church is not quenched. It's not stomped out even under persecution, even after death. Lord, your church will always have a remnant. And in those very places of persecution, your church is growing. Lord, I pray that you give them endurance that you give them the opportunity to witness even in those political landscapes. Lord, and I pray that within that global church, our little tiny branch is producing fruit. Lord, bless Elevate. Bless every man and woman in here. Stir in their hearts to live radically. And I thank you, Lord, for every man and woman in here that hasn't called on you as the Son of God and repented. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that they're here and they're hearing your word. And I pray you plant seeds that can't be shaken, stolen, choked out. But seeds are being planted in fertile soil. Lord, I pray that all the fun tonight was just the frame for a glowing picture of you. That when we leave here tonight, we remember who you are. You are king, and all dominion is in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Elevate. You guys are fantastic. Thank you guys for dressing the part. Thank you for putting on your earth pads. Thank you for the slick, everything. You guys are beautiful. Love y'all. Cannot wait to see you guys next week. We have a, a guest speaker next week. It's Chad Young. Who loves Chad? Chad is amazing. He's going to be here next week to break down the word of God. Love you, Elevate.